worship wherever you are in the building. God, we thank you. We give you honor. We give you praise. We give you glory. We're thankful that you are filling this place with your presence and with people, God. We thank you, God, that, that your word is going forth and is healing, God. We thank you, God, that we're having more and more baptisms, God. We thank you for all the things that you're doing. We're thankful that we're a family, God, and we can be rejoiced with those who are rejoicing and at the same time mourn with those who are mourning. Thank you for the love that is in this place and for those who are going through sadness, God. I pray in the name of Jesus, God, that you encompass their heart and give them the peace that passes all understanding. Now, Father, I ask that you hide me behind your cross, that they see not me, but they see you and they hear your voice. For your sheep know your voice, God, and a stranger they will not follow. Speak to us, your servants, listen, and we'll be careful to give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Somebody give God a hand clap of praise. I love you, I love you, how many know that? I love you, Lord, today, because you care for me in such a special way, in such a special way, that's why I praise you. I lift you up and I magnify your name. That's why my heart. That's why my heart is filled with praise. Hallelujah. Give God a hand clap of praise in the building. Well, amen. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go where? Into the house of the Lord. I am elated to see all of your smiling faces. Uh, I'm, I'm glad to see everybody in the building, God moving. We're going to cut on a little bit of air. We got quite a few people this morning, and I told them cut the heat off and cut the air on. We were putting on the... Uh, baptismal pool and we were warming it because it's cold going in that pool y'all it is cold so we keep it warm but you know what that's a good problem to have keep coming next week everybody invite one person we'll have to put our chairs in the aisles and that'll be just fine for me because we got plenty of air hey, amen uh the book of romans romans chapter one uh we didn't get all the way through one through seven so we're going to start where we left off we are in a sermon series in the book of romans a very important book so if they'll pull up romans chapter one uh, verses 1 through 7. We can all read that together. So glad to see all of you, my father's children. Um, they're pulling it up. I'm going to make sure we have the same versions connected. Sometimes we have the same versions, but they're slightly worded differently. So we're going to read all the way from 1, 1 through 7. You guys excited about the word? Yeah. Hallelujah. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. Let's read together. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, 
Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring out about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Christ Jesus, to all who th those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our, the Lord Jesus Christ. You may be seated in the presence of God. Intercessor, that's it, Ethan. Ethan helps me preach. I look forward to Ethan showing up. If I don't get one amen, I'm going to get one from Ethan. That's my guy. It's so wonderful. We have people of all ages and stages. It's, it, when you see little kids and they're screaming in your service, that means your church is alive and well. I love it. I love every minute of it. Um, we're, we're getting ready to go into our series, uh, as we talked about last week, that the book of Romans is actually so deep, and Paul is so deep in his, his teaching, that Peter, who actually walked with Jesus, sometimes says that it's hard to understand Paul. God used all sorts of people from all ages and stages and walks of life. He would use different people from a plethora of different options that he chose. When he got ready to go speak to kings, he would pull Isaiah, somebody who was aristocratic and from the, the aristocratic era and knew how to speak to kings. But he also knew how to get people like Amos, who were country preachers. He had somebody for everybody to be able to speak. And, and he chooses Paul for a particular reason in the book of Romans to speak to Rome. Peter is going to be speaking along with the other disciples across the world. And also Peter is going to be speaking primarily to the Jews. But when God got ready to write his treatise uh, on, uh, on Christianity and use Paul to do it, he used Paul. He used a very educated man. He used a man who knew the Bible inside and out of his day. He used the Torah. And Paul is such a deep thinker that, believe it or not, I did an entire sermon last Sunday on half of the introduction of his letter. There is so much theology in what Paul says that if you begin to study what's in the book of Romans, if you have doubts about Christianity, if you have doubts about your faith, this is the time and place and space to be because Romans will explain those things. Because the first half of Romans talks completely about belief and the next half talks about behavior. And Paul opens up this morning with a statement that from last week is teeming with theology. And through this introduction, we will see the revelation of Jesus Christ and also the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is the gospel of Jesus Christ? We're going to get more into that as the weeks go on. But we have a word in the Greek. It is called euangelion. Everybody say euangelion. Euangelion, if you, were, if you could read Greek like pa, uh, brother, brother Bob back there who's from Macedonia, who's Greek uh, or Macedonian, you would see it and the euangelion would look like a word that we see all the time, which we find evangelist, E-V in the Greek. Euangelion, it means the good news of Jesus Christ. It means that God has some good news to share. He had good news to share with the world. What is that good news? That the good news is good because it's preceded by bad news. <laughs> and, and, and when you get bad news, you, you, everybody's always looking for, for some good news. And the bad news was that God made us and he created man in his image. And we talked about last week how God created man in his image and man immediately began to try to make God be in his. <laughs> he tried to make God think like he thought and do what he wanted to do. You'll see that Psalm in Romans chapter 1 verse 21. But the bad news is that one man named Adam decided that he could live in 
independently of God and his pride. And Adam sinned and disobeyed God. And the Bible says that by one man, sin entered into the world. That's the bad news. Everybody say, that's the bad news. That's the bad news that people would ask, well, if God is so good, why is there death in the world? It's not that God wanted death in the world, but the wages of sin is what? Death. God is life, and God is the author of life, and life and light emanates from him. And if you are separated from him, you have no choice but death. And in his mercy, God said, I'm going to separate Adam and Eve from the garden. Why am I going to separate them from the garden? Because they are now in, in, in a depraved state. They're not in the state in which I decided that I wanted them to be. And if I leave them like this, they are forever going to be in sin. So God, in his mercy, he put them out of the uh, of the of the garden of eden and he put cherubim at the gate so that they couldn't get in because to them death was mercy. Why? Because if they died, they would not have to live forever in the state they were in. That would seem like it would be the end of the story, Pastor Ernie, but we get a clue in Genesis 3.15 when God talks to the serpent. He says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and your seed and his seed and I, he will strike, you will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. In other words, that you might have thought you won by making Adam fall away, Satan, but here's the thing. I already had this in plan. Nothing happens that God doesn't know. I don't know if you know that, but nothing happens that God doesn't know. He is the alpha. He is the omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is all powerful and omniscient, and yes, he does know exactly what you're thinking right now for that person who just said that. Right now, he knows exactly what's on your mind. He had already put a plan in place for the prophet said, behold, the lamb slain for the found before the foundation of the world. See, the wages of sin is death and the soul that sinned, the Bible said, shall die. So death is the appropriate punishment for disobedience to God. And God in his justice, being a just God, could not let sin go unpunished. So it's not that he's necessarily angry, but he has a wrath that must be appeased and the target of his wrath is sin and because we were born in sin David said and iniquity where we shaping that meant that we were no longer friends of God but we were enemies of God and we were the target of his wrath but God loved us so much that instead of letting the target hit us he had his son step in front of that wrath for us and he died on a cross called and on a hill called Calvary and that is the good news that the wrath of God has now been satisfied that whoever believes on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved and you can be called a friend of God That is the good news that Christ has come down into the earth. And, and Isaiah says he shall become a man called Emmanuel, meaning God with us. That God himself wrapped himself in flesh, came down in swaddling clothes in a manger and, and manifested to us in the person of Jesus Christ, one of the three persons of the Godhead. And he is coming to save us if we would only believe. But as Paul begins to give his treatise, 
and his introduction, he needs to let you know how legitimate this claim is because there are going to be many people who are cynical about whether or not this is true. We spent Easter talking about the validity, both historically, both factually and spiritually, of the resurrection. There is no doubt that Jesus Christ lived. There is no doubt that Jesus Christ walked the earth. And there is no doubt that he rose again. There is no doubt that he's coming back to judge the living and the dead. And he has satisfied the wrath of God. And all we have to do is take his hand. So if we endure or we end up experiencing the wrath of God, it's not because it's a good, not a good God that doesn't love us. It's simply because we chose not to take his hand. We chose to do it our way with our own intellect and our own pride and our own way of thinking and try to use reason and, and, and intellect and logic to try to explain God. And how foolish is that to try? I, I laugh sometimes. I was talking to my kids as I was taking them somewhere, and they were talking about some things, and I said, you know there's a problem with your logic. They said, what? I said, I've lived, went through 13 years of school, went through college before either one of you were even born, which means that no matter how much you learn, you will never catch up to where I am. So how silly it is for you to tell me about life when I've lived and forgotten more than you will ever learn. How silly it is for us to try to explain things to God who created us and knows more than we will ever know. That is pride and that is arrogance. We know that God will reveal to us what he wants us to know. He reveals it to us through his word. He reveals it through us as Romans 1, chapter 18, verses 18 through 21 said. He reveals it through creation because if you look at creation it's hard to see that there's not a God Albert Einstein one of the most foremost physicists of the world said the more that I study creation the more that I study science it's impossible to believe that there is not an intelligent designer somewhere we have an intelligent designer and following Christianity is not a divorce of faith and reason but it is where reason meets faith that we are simply figuring out what God has already put there. And in Romans 1 and 3, this is where we hang our hat this morning. This is where we start. He begins to describe Jesus because everything hinges on who Jesus is. Because there are thousands of religions in the world. There are thousands of ways that people think that they can get to God. And many of those religions even acknowledge Jesus. They acknowledge him because it's hard. You, can't, you, you have to be in denial to say Jesus didn't physically exist. We, we know in this historical record. So they can't deny that fact. So they'll, they'll say he was a good prophet and he was a good teacher, but he could not have been the son of God. Some will even acquiesce to the virgin birth, but they will not say that Jesus is the son of God. But the whole purpose of him coming to earth is God made flesh dying for our sins. And we need to know that he is who he says he is. So that's why when he talks about in Romans chapter one and begins to describe Jesus in Romans chapter one, Paul says this. He says this, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. What did he promise concerning? Everybody said concerning. Concerning, concerning about his son. Concerning about his son, who, and there are three things here where we'll stop, was descended from David. Everybody say, descended from David. 
He was descended from David, and that's important for us to know. And then he was declared, oh, hallelujah. That's something that a believer should shout about right there. He was declared to be the son of God. Everybody said, declared. So he was descended and he was declared to be the son of God and power by the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead. That's an important thing for us to know. And we know that through him, everybody said through him, we have received grace and apostleship. There's a lot there. So I'm going to start right at descended of David. Did you know that there are over 400 prophecies about Jesus? And each and every last one of them before Jesus came to the earth was fulfilled. Do you realize the statistical probability of that happening is slim to none unless Jesus is who he said he is? It's hard to make two factors come together at once. But 444, that he will be descended of David, which is the fulfillment of a prophecy. We see this in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12 through 13. And you can go back and look at it later if you want to do some study. Write this down. 2 Samuel chapter 8, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7, going at verse 8 through 29. But I'm going to do 2 Samuel uh, 7, 12 through 13 and 16, just so you can see the scene. This happens. David lives almost a thousand years before Jesus. A thousand years before Jesus ever cracked the, the, the earth, we see this being said, and we see a scene, so you'll know the scene. David is telling God, he looks across the skyline of Jerusalem, and he says, I see a problem. I live in a nice house, and the tabernacle where God dwells is in a tent. God, I want to make a, a house for you. And God tells him this. He says, you won't build a house for me. Why? Because your hands are too bloody, David. You've been a man of war, but I'll let you gather up all the stuff, and your son will actually be able to build a tabernacle or a house for me. But God gives him this promise, and it's what we call the Davidic covenant. And it reads just like this, 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 13. Y'all mind me teaching you a little bit today? It says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom and he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Verse 16, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. What he is telling David is that your throne will sit, your kingdom will sit on the throne. Your descendants will sit on the throne forever. Now, David thinks that that is an earthly kingdom, but actually his, his descendant sits on the throne as the king of the universe forever. How do I know that? Because if you go to the uh, fast forward a thousand years later and go to Matthew and you go down through the book of Matthew, it says this. And so all the generations, Matthew 7, 1, 17 through 18. Let's read it together. Uh, if uh, if they have it, Matthew chapter one, verse 17 through 18. So we won't go to sleep. Let's all read it together. Y'all ready? <laughs> Let's read. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation, deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to Christ, 14 generations. 42 generations, Jesus shows up on the scene. Less than 42, because it's 42 from Abraham too. But to the T of what God said, Jesus shows up a descendant of David. 
If you look through Matthew and you look through the genealogies, we see those genealogies, and that's generally term when most people go to sleep. We skip over all that stuff, and this person begat this person. There's a lot of begatting going on, and we get tired of all the begatting, and we skip over. But if you pay attention to that, you see the lineage of Jesus. And just like God promised back in 2 Samuel, here comes Jesus, the son of David. Why is this important? Because it's in our theology that we serve a triune God who is three persons that is the Father, the person of the Father, the person of the Son, and the person of the Holy Spirit. And when we talk about the person of the Son who is Jesus Christ, we know that he is both fully human and fully divine. Uh, R.C. Sproul says it this way, that he is truly human and truly divine, meaning that on his, in his humanness, he came as the second Adam. By at one Adam, sin came into the world, so sin must leave the world by a man. So God wrapped himself in flesh and came down a, a, as a man and died for our sins that we would have a right to the tree of life. So he is 100% God, 100% man. How do you explain that, Pastor? Ask him when you get there. But he is 100% God, and he is 100% man, and his ways are not our ways, and his thoughts are not our thoughts and as far as from the heavens are, his, are from the earth are his ways why is it important to know that not only was Jesus 100% God but he was 100% man in the Davidic covenant it, it's because of Paul's declaration here that he talks about David or about Jesus rather it's ripe with theological truth because he lets us view God from a point of both divinity and humanity for Jesus is fully God and fully divine. And Paul lets me know he is descended from David, that he came down through those 42 generations and manifested himself in human form. That's why we see in the book of John, chapter 1, verse 14, if they pull it up, you can read it with me. It says this. Oh, yeah. Uh, hallelujah. Give them a hand clap. They're, they're on point today. Everybody, let's read this together. These are the words of John the disciple. What does it say? And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Paul, John is talking to a particular audience, so he uses the word word or the word logos, where we get the word logic from, because in Greeks, the Greeks believed in logic. They didn't even believe in a resurrection of the body. They believed in a resurrection, if in any, of the spirit. So he's talking to people who are uh, the smart people, <laughs> the people who, who only, if you can only give it to me if, if you can prove it to me logically. And so he says, in the beginning was the logic or the logos, the word. And the word was God. And the word was with God. And the word came down as flesh and he dwelt among us God himself came from heaven became flesh and he dwelt among us and this is why I like that because I know that the humanity of Jesus is vital first man Adam sinned second man Adam brought redemption to the world Jesus is the second Adam and he brought salvation and I know that I that I have a God who is both divine and both human why is this important to me somebody say he gets me <laughs> what do I mean by that we don't have a God that's high and lofty like a Zeus sitting there with a thunderbolt he came down and became in sinful flesh and saw what it was like to live as a human he saw what it was like to face temptation but not yield to it 
He saw what it was like to be hungry. He saw what it was like to be thirsty. And yes, he even thought, saw what it was like to grieve. One of the shortest passages in the Bible is Jesus wept. You might say, people are saying, I know how you feel, and they don't understand your pain, but you don't have a God that's foreign. Just like you are mourning, Jesus mourned and Jesus wept. Jesus knows what you were going through. It's important to know that he gets us. Hebrews chapter 4, I'm giving y'all a lot of scripture today because it's important to set the foundation. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Let's read this together. Y'all ready to read? Let's ride. And it says what? Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then in confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. For those of you who've been saved forever and you never do anything wrong, this might not make you shout. But for those of you who argued in the way on the car on the way to church, for those of you who are angry at God for some things he's done, for those of you who got some sin in your life that you're struggling with, I've come to tell you this, that Jesus understands, and if you'll just give him and be honest with him. He can heal your broken pieces. He can heal your heart. God's feelings are not so soft that you can't tell him, Lord, I'm angry with you. Be respectful because I, I, I just believe you ought to be respectful. But you can be honest with God. You don't have a God that is foreign and doesn't know what you're going through. But that's the good news that God came down and walked among us and he knows what it's like to be you. That word sympathize means to commiserate or to have compassion or to be touched by the feeling of. In other words, he's touched by the feeling of our weaknesses. When he sees our weaknesses, he knows our doubts. He knows our unbeliefs. He knows we're struggling with our faith, and he is touched by those things. He's not angered by them, but he has compassion by them because the Bible says, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. It's not his desire to cast you into the pit of hell. It is his desire that all that may will come unto him, all that are weary and heaven laden and I will give you rest. He didn't come to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. John 3.17 we know John 3.16 it says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But I like John 3.17 because it says for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that through the world through him may be saved. But he that believeth not is already condemned because he has not believed on the name of God's only son. He didn't come to condemn you. He came because you were condemned and he wanted to give you a reprieve and a stay and a way to heaven. He understands human 
weakness and frailty. He understands our struggles in the flesh. He is a holy God that deserves reverence and respect, while at the same time, he is approachable because it said that we can come boldly to the throne of grace and find grace to help in our time of need. Is there anybody that can be honest and say, I'm going through some things and seasons in my life where I really can't understand what you're doing, God, and I'm really angry or I'm really confused or befuddled, and I need some grace to understand it, and I, 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 I don't understand why I have to lose loved ones, why people die. I don't understand why people walk away from me in my life. I don't understand how I gave you my hand once and people abused me, and they used the church as a tool to hurt me, and now I'm bitter and I'm angry and I'm hurt. I don't understand. God, can you help me to understand? I've come to you to tell you that you absolutely have a God that understands, and you are not here in this room by accident because he wants you to hear this, that he understands, and he loves you, and he knows what you're going through, and no matter where you are, his love can reach you. His love can reach you. Isn't it good to know that no matter what our hang-ups and our imperfections, you can come to God in confession and repentance, and he will hear you? There was a time when you needed a priest to come to you, to speak to you, God, on your behalf. But now, because of the blood of Jesus Christ and the veil of the temple being torn, you can get on your knees, even if you don't make it to church. And y'all started showing up, so I'm not saying don't come to church. Come to church and be a friend. But at the same, bring a friend. But at the same time, even if you, if Wednesday or Thursday night and you can't make it to church, you can get over on the side of your bed on your knees and have church right there. That God can meet you in your car while you're at the stoplight. God can meet you on your job while you got tears in your eye. God can meet you in the hospital room when you're hurting and pain in your body. God can meet you wherever you are. And he said, wherever there are two or three touching and agreeing in my name, there I will be in the midst. The church is not this building. The church is in you. You are the church. And we come here to congregate and fellowship so that the church can go all throughout the world. <laughs> when I go to the barber shop, guess what? Church is at the barber shop. <laughs> Wayne, where did I meet you? <laughs> at the barber shop. <laughs> I know how to cut my own hair. <laughs> Why am I going to the barber shop? <laughs> because there are souls at the barber shop. <laughs> When I go to Chanel's house, I'm not at Chanel's house. I'm at church. <laughs> Chanel, <laughs> where are you right now? Hallelujah. Why? Because wherever I go, church goes with me. When I'm at the Family Dollar, Family Dollar is at church. When I'm at the Kroger, Kroger is at church. When I'm talking to somebody online for work, they're at church. There are people that break down and need help. Wherever you go, the church should go with you. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Get out of the mentality that this is the church. You are the church, and God is calling you to get more people to bring into this place, to mobilize and go out and reach the lost and teach the found and change the world. It's good to know that he gets us. I think a lot in songs because I'm a musician and when I read this scripture that we could go boldly to the throne of grace and he gets me. A song came to my mind. What a friend we have. 
in Jesus. All of our sins and grieves, the stuff that people know about and the stuff we'll go to our grave with. All of us got stuff that we'll go to our grave with, things that we're ashamed of. But guess what? We can pour it all out at the feet of Jesus and he understands. And this is a privilege. This is the gospel. He said, what is a privilege to carry? Not just the clean stuff, not just the stuff that doesn't make church people cringe, but I can take him to the stuff that make church people want to walk the other way. I can take it to God and he still says, come and bring it me what a privilege it is to carry everything to God in prayer all of my weaknesses all of my failures it's okay to say God I got a cussing a problem with cussing and I'm getting on my knees to finish cussing God uh, so I, I, I can let you help me with that God I have an addiction to things on my cell phone I shouldn't still be looking at and you can take it to God with that you can say God I'm angry and I have a problem with anger and unforgiveness and I'm bitter and I'm cynical and I really ain't into this church thing and you can take that to God and he's fine you can say God I have a problem with addiction and drugs I have a problem with pornography I have a problem with alcohol. I have a problem with cigarettes. I can't give them up. I got a problem with the funny kind of cigarettes too, God, and I can't give them up. And you can take it to him and he will heal you. God can... I, Pastor, I just can't stop smoking. I can tell you, God can help you get rid of all cigarettes, the ones with nicotine and the ones with THC, if you just give it to him. If you Hallelujah. He can change your life. That's what the grace is about. The problem you've had is because you've been trying to change your life on your own. And on your own, you don't have enough strength. That word grace that we see in the scriptures that we read this morning, that word is charis. Everybody say charis. Chorus is, is the favor of God. It's the empowerment of God. God empowers you through the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to do things through his power that you wouldn't be able to do on your own, to be released from addictions and oppressions, to be released from all sorts of diseases, to find healing in your body just like they used to in the old time church. It's not that God's not moving today. It's simply because he said, asking you shall receive. We're not asking and we're not seeking and we're not knocking and if we knock one time and it doesn't show up we walk away but God said keep asking keep seeking and keep knocking and I will reveal myself to you in a very real way that you have no doubt that I am the Lord thy God and beside me there is none other if you want to know who God is ask him he'll reveal himself to you that next part says that he's declared to be Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Is this helping anybody this morning? Hallelujah. He says he's descended of David, but verse 4 says, and declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. It's important for us to know what that is saying. He is not saying because he rose from the dead, he was declared to be. The word in in the Greek means to be designated. In other words, He was already the son of God. It was just revealed in his resurrection from the dead. (laughs) 
that word designated mean he was appointed to die for us. His resurrection was proof that he is the son of God. This was a powerful thought among the Greeks who did not believe in a bodily resurrection and some sects of Judaism did not even believe in a resurrection at all. This is a powerful truth that Jesus is not just another prophet. He is not just another good man. He is who he says he is. He is God. who he says he is well I can't come to Jesus because I, 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 I got all these hang ups come on to him come on to him with what you got because here's the thing after a while I don't bother when people, I see people doing stuff and, and they say I can't come to church when I'm doing this. I don't care. Come on, I want the church to, to I want the church people to come in with alcohol on their breath. Why? Not, not the seasoned saints. Don't come in with alcohol on your breath. But, but those, those that, that come in and they don't know God that much. I want people from the club. I want people from the street corner. I want people with tracks in their arm. Why? Because the Bible says, come unto me all ye who are weary and heavy laden and I will for you and I'll give you rest for my yoke is easy and my burden is light and you will find rest for your soul I want you to come as you are because if you come as you are you won't leave like you came in Jesus name oh thank God that he didn't leave me how I was Austin he didn't leave me in the shape I was in. And guess what? Even how I am now, I still have some things that need to change. I'm not above you. I'm one of you. I'm a person who has faults. I'm a person who has failures. I'm a person who's not perfect. That's why I say I'm just like the Williams brothers. I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody who can change anybody. If you give God your hand, it may not all happen overnight, but still. Step by step and moment by moment, choice by choice, you'll look back and you'll realize that you're a different person than you ever were. And all you have to do is give him your hand. He loves you. He's declared to be the son of God. And the last thing, he says this, verse 5, we through whom have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to Jesus Christ. Amen. A better translation of that would say, we have received the grace of apostleship. He is saying for those of us at that time who were who were who were apostles and going out apostolos means a messenger, somebody who's sent by somebody in the Greek apostolos. He's he's an apostle. He's been sent by God to to do God's work and he's been sent out. We use the word today missionary. <laughs> in other words, each one of you are missionaries. Each one of you are called to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ. Each one of you are called not to come to church by yourself, but to bring people to church with you. Why? Because we are here not just to sit around one another. It's good when we can fellowship with one another. That's good. That's a good part of church. It's good when we can find community among one another. That's a good part of church. It's good when we can grieve with those who grieve. That's good. It's a good part of church. It's good that we can mourn with those who mourn. That's a good part of church, but that's only one part of church. The most important part 
why the church says that one day Jesus is coming back and every day you live, you have one less day to let somebody know and that while we have breath in our bodies, we should use that breath to draw people to Christ. Jesus says go out into the hills and the highways and the hedges and compel men to come. Everybody say, come to church with me. Was everybody able to say that? <laughs> How easy was that? <laughs> you don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to know the Bible from Genesis to Revelations. You just have to say, come to church with me. What's a church? I can't explain it, but if you show up, <laughs> you'll find out. You know, the best way to evangelize is a changed life that when people see the work of the power of the Holy Spirit in your life and they see that there's something different about you and you begin to change, it brings up a curiosity in them and they say, there's something different than the status quo. There might be something real to this and they may have doubts, but they'll still show up to see and when they show up, they'll realize that what got a hold of you is slowly starting to get a hold of them and it wasn't a joke, it wasn't a farce, but it was the power of God and it'll begin to chip away the stony part to their heart and before you know it they're going to get people and saying come on to Jesus he says we have received the grace of apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith Paul's job as an apostle was to lead others to the gospel which produces obedience that's the problem we have sometimes in church because we become too dogmatic and Pharisee like that we try to clean the fish before we catch the fish but if Jesus catches the fish and he gets on the inside of their heart Jesus will do all the cleaning he needs to do I'm not going to be knocking on your door, following you around, trying to find out what you do or the way you are. I don't, I don't have the time for that. I'm not here to police you. I'm here to let you know if you give your heart to God, that God's spirit will walk with you wherever you are, and he will give you peace, and he will also give you guidance. He is a person just like Jesus is a person. He is not the Holy Spirit. He is Holy Spirit. He is a person of the Godhead. He has a personality. He has a purpose, and he is there to lead and guide you into all truth. He is there to help you with your decision making. He's there when you know you're about to hit the phone late at night and you have no business hitting it because you know you're not going to end up in nothing good to say, put the phone down. Now, whether you listen to him or not is up to you. He's there late at night when nobody's around to look at the screen on your phone and say, and nobody's there to see what's on your TikTok and what's on your Instagram to say, put the phone down. He's there right around when you see that person that you really don't like and somebody starts talking about them and it feels good to hear somebody else that don't like them too and you get ready to open your mouth to gossip and he says, close your mouth. Or, or, or as Mother Mabel would say, Kathy. <laughs> at, at the same time, <laughs> Mother Mabel has the Holy Spirit. Kathy's pointing at me. We all need a Mother Mabel in our life. We do. It's called the Holy Spirit. It'll say, will it? <laughs> you ought not say that. <laughs> Chanel, <laughs> you ought not do that. <laughs> Victor, <laughs> you ought not go there. Why? Because I love you and I want the best for you and that's not going to give you the best result for your life. 
He's trying to save us. When I tell my children no, it is not because I'm a big bad daddy and I'm trying to hurt them and exert my authority. When I tell my children no, it's because I can see danger that they cannot see. And my no is not a restriction. My no is a blessing because my no is keeping them from something that will hurt themselves. Sin destroys us. Sin destroys our life. And God wants to rid us of the penalty of sin. That's the purpose of sanctification. Pastor, how can you hang out with me when you know how I am? Because if you hang out with me long enough, you're not going to stay how you are. (laughs) And I don't have to open my mouth to say a word. All I have to do is just live. You don't have to open up the Bible. Open up your life. Let them see you how you live. Let them see you live a godly life. And your life, by definition, will become conviction. And they'll say, whatever they have, I want some of that. Paul has received both an assignment and a call as we get ready to go. The grace empowered him to carry out his assignment. He says that. He says we've received grace and apostleship. You cannot go without receiving the grace first. You need the empowerment of God to do whatever you're going to do. Whatever, If you're going to sing, if you're going to preach, if you're going to evangelize, you need the grace and power of the Holy Spirit. I, remember, I hear Jesus telling his disciples, stay in Jerusalem and do not leave. I know you walk with me. I know you've been with me. I know I've taught you all these things. You've heard from God himself from my mouth, but I'm going back and I'm going to send somebody else with you and do not leave this room stay in Jerusalem until you have been endued with power from on high I'm going to give you the power to live right I'm going to give you the power to proclaim the gospel I'm going to give you the power to walk right I'm going to give you the power to proclaim healing I'm going to give you the power that you need somebody say I need his grace Is there anybody in here that that's a true statement? I need the grace of God. I need his grace just to make it from day to day. I got struggles. I got issues. I got more issues than Time Magazine. And and I'm really jacked up and and I'm too bad for the counselor. I need the grace of God. So I say to you. If you're full of sin and hatred and anger and bitterness and jealousy and, 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 and drug addiction and, and sexual abuse and all those types of things or sexual addiction, this is the place for you. What did the pastor say? Yes, this is the place for you. You showed up at the right place at the right time because I know a God who doesn't matter. He tells you, come as you are, but not leave as you came. He wants you here so he can love you back to life. We must have a reliance and trust for God to empower us and do his work. Under our own power, the goal is insurmountable. But with God's power, the goal is in reach. Romans 1 and 7, the last scripture for the day. Somebody says, thank goodness, I'm ready. I'm getting hungry. That's okay. Romans 1 and 7. Let's read Romans 1 and 7. Y'all got one more scripture in you? (laughs) I, I, I want us to read this together. What does it say? To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Before I tell you what I need to tell you, I need to know, let you know something. 
that you're loved by God. A lot of people, when they think of church, they think of condemnation. They think of finger pointing. The finger's already been pointed. No need for me to point any. He that believeth not is what? Condemned already. You need to know that you're loved by God. How do I know? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever would believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. God is not on a hit mission. God is on a rescue mission. He's come to rescue you from the penalties and the burdens of sin. Would you be free from your burdens of sin? There's power in the blood. There's power in the blood. Grace and peace. Grace where inferior finds favor of the inferior. You can't give grace to somebody who's above you, but grace is when a superior authority grants something that the inferior authority cannot get. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. You can't afford God's riches because all of our righteousness are but filthy rags, but Jesus died for you, and a superior God gives his benefits to an inferior being, for he's made us just a little lower than the angels. It empowers us to do what the creator desires. And as we get ready to close today, and we get ready for the baptismal service after, I I, I dare not close this service without saying, There's room in the water for you, too, if you want to be there. If you don't know Jesus, if you walked away from God, you're not in this room by accident. You're here because he wants you here. You're listening because he wants you to listen. And in his love, however you got here, he's used somebody. And many of us are here just because he's used somebody to draw us in this room. And he's used them to draw us to let him know that you are not here by accident, but by intent and design. And if this day you don't know where you're going to spend eternity, you can give God your heart. I'm going to ask you this. If you're not sure about your relationship with Christ Jesus and you don't know, whether or not when you leave this place, you'll have eternal security with him. Are you brave enough to raise your hand? Is there anybody? Praise God. Praise God. There's some that still have doubts, but that's okay. God is patient with us. He's so patient that he didn't pour out his wrath. He waited thousands of years before Jesus even got here. And even after Jesus has gone back to heaven, he's waited 2,000 more years. Why? Because God's not slack concerning his promises. Some consider slackful, but he is merciful in giving us time to come to him. I'm going to pray for you, and then I'm going to open this altar. Brother Dave is out preaching the day blessing another church and we're grateful for that but I ask all my prayer team that that can make it and can stand if you want to come here if you need some prayer if you need something you can come to this altar and we're going to pray 
and then we're going to have a brief interlude, and then we're gonna, I'm going to hop ready, and Robin's already got those two ready, uh, and we're going to go in the water. Uh, Lamarck, if you can go ahead and go ahead and start getting ready, because Lamarck's going to be helping me. It's good to have good deacons. God, I thank you for the word today. I thank you for what's been said, and I pray that it burns in the hearts of every man and woman and child in this room, God. And it compels them of your love and your grace and of your mercy and of your truth. And it keeps drawing them back and drawing them back. That they're overtaken with your love and your kindness. That they will want to lay aside every weight and every sin and look unto you who is the author and the finisher of our faith. We give you praise and thanks for that. In the name of Jesus, we do pray. Amen. <laughs> 